be full of fright. I dreamt that I was with the devil below in his great big fiery hall, where the devil was giving a ball. I checked my coat and hat and started gazing at the merry crowd who came to witness the show, and I must confess to you, there were many there I knew. Hello. Hi. At the devil's ball. At the devil's ball. Hello, and welcome to The Dispatchist, a podcast about hell and some other stuff. Tonight, there is no Victoria. There is only VUCA. Oh, dear. What? VUCA. You guys haven't heard of VUCA? No. It's a VUCA. Um, I mean, so- you are. I, I I am Vuka and I'm Legion. Mesopotamian um, goddess? <laughs> it actually is an acronym that I learned from my friend Sonia. It's used to describe situations that are volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. And I feel like it really fits tonight's episode. Okay. So who well, are y'all? Um, I'm indemonstrably Jacob. Hmm. I'm unambiguously Jamin. Awesome. And together we're... <laughs> we're murder. It's taken uh, me about 15 years to remember your name at all. So if I, <laughs> if I get this one confused. This is an improvement. I feel like this is a banner day for many reasons for that. And also because this is our 6616th episode. <laughs> hey, they were on my mixtape. <laughs> they were number 16 on our mixtape, actually. How did that happen? I, I don't feel magic. like there was a ghost ghost in the machine Dark. that made that happen dark magic. Well, there was a lot of ghosts in the machine. Mm-hmm. So, did anybody bring anything to the party? I brought some entertainment. Yes. Ooh. What'd you bring? Being chased by lions through the smithy of the sluts. The... Is this a smithy run by sluts? Or a smithy where they forge sluts? Ooh. Uh, like um, orcs? I assume yeah. I assume this smithy is the fate of all sluts. It's like the forest of suicides, mm. or Wait. the the ice skating rink of used car salesmen. <laughs> so, like, we're talking a place where you take like raw iron and apply heat and force, and end up with swords and plowshares and sluts and sex toys. I assume at this point because it is the smithy of the sluts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cast yeah. iron, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> But it rusts so easily. That's the real problem. Oh, that's why you keep it properly oiled. (laughs) Someone doesn't know how to take care of their cast iron. (laughs) You got to season it. Uh, So, Jamin, did you bring anything to the party? Well, uh, so I was in your kitchen and just kind of rummaging through the fridge, and I, I found this, and I feel like you were hiding it from me. But there's ice cream in here, and I ate most of it. But it's a. Yeah, it's the avocado lime ice cream. Like, I was saving that. Where did you... This is delicious. Oh, man. You don't know what I, what I had to go through to get that. That's why I was in the back behind the ice cubes and like the fish sticks. <laughs> Those are for the cats, by the way. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Artisanal fish sticks. <laughs> They're artisanal small batch fish sticks. Um, so... Locally sourced. Locally sourced. I knew the fish. <laughs> oh my names. god! Locally sourced mm-hmm. fish sticks in Austin. I don't even let's <laughs> let's back away from this topic slowly. Back away from the fish sticks. <laughs> well, I was wondering what that noise was because the cats were really freaked out. Well, how do you think I felt? 
eating someone else's avocado lime ice cream, stepping on someone I didn't know was even there and getting yelled at. Boy. I know. I'm sorry about that. But, you know, you were in their fridge, so Mm. messing with their sticks. (laughs) So I brought a cocktail. This one's called The Real Housewife. And it has four ounces of Electric Sky Pinot Grigio Italiano, some fresh lemon juice, simple syrup, some raspberries for drama, some lemon slices for drama, and then some raspberry sugar. I love raspberry sugar. What is Electric Sky? I have no idea. Oh, okay. This Yeah, yeah this confuses me because it started out four ounces of Electric Sky, and I was expecting you to say vodka. Right, 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 right. Yeah, because you're no, a housewife. It's Pinot Grigio. It's Pinot Grigio. It's just a white wine. Ew. It's so like a you, sugar bomb. It's not just a white wine. It's a canned, bubbly white wine. Oh, see, even better. Yeah, like it's all making sense now because you're really not supposed to drink this. You're supposed to throw this in somebody's face while your mascara runs. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the lemon slices. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Or you could just throw a white claw as a can would leave a difference. <laughs> hey, man. White claw's refreshing. <laughs> Not when it hits you in the face. <laughs> so is there any hell news this week? Actually, yeah. So a listener just sent me this link, and I'll pull this up now. We found another hellmouth, if you what? all remember our hellmouths. Mm-hmm. So in Turkey, uh, we'll link this. I had to I had to read the, the website twice. I was like, Science Al Ert. Okay, so some guy named Al mm-hmm. and he's science I don't know what he's erting, but it's sciencealert.com. And the <laughs> Parsing. Jamin not read so Parsing. good these days. Parsing. Mm-hmm. Ancient Roman gate to hell killed victims with its deadly lake. Ooh. Uh, how would you not want to click on that? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, long story, this is an ancient Roman bath slash temple slash graveyard. Graveyard, And there's a hot spring slash lake and a fumarole, which is constantly belching CO2 out. Hmm. And there's so much CO2 that's coming out that it kind of like it condenses. And because mm-hmm. CO2 is heavier than air, it formed kind of like this puddle across the, this little inlet, this little lakey thing. This is like a recurring thing in Rome because like Lake Avernus, the Lake of Dead Birds... Yeah. And then the Cave di Cani, the place where do- oh. the cave where dogs go to die. Uh-huh. Yeah. Apparently, there's a lot of fumaroles in ancient Rome. Huh. Okay. The best part about this is the science because CO2 is heavier than air. It sits about 40 centimeters, which, according to Google Translate, is 2.4 bananas. Oh, okay. Right. Okay. So uh-huh. if you're taller than that, mm-hmm. you're just breathing regular air. You're like, oh, tra la la, I'm a Jamin, I'm five and a half foot tall. Not suffering, right? Uh huh. But I'm leading my cow behind me, my big old sacred ox, oh. and you know they like they're big and they're dumb and they stick their, their face to the ground dumb. to eat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he just sits there and like imagine the first guy walking through. It's like tra la la. I'm leading my cow through here, and he falls over, and I got to tug this guy behind. Like anyway. So thank you, listener. This is kind of neat. We found this place. We know how it works. We found some bull bones and some sacred stuff. It was a really neat article. Two bits I really liked about it. I liked that priests standing in this kind of semi-sacred space would stand on top of rocks. <laughs> Just, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially Keep. the short ones. And I also liked there was a bustling tourist trade where people would sell visitors small animals. <laughs> oh, oh. But this also explains why cows have wheels now. 
This Wait. is true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Romans, they think of everything. <laughs> so not to like touch on a sensitive, potentially sensitive subject, but... Um, I, I'm all about the prying here. Let's pry. Yeah, I think it's. I think we should pry. So, so Jamin, what happened uh, with the mixtape and your, your lady friend? Well, you remember that one time I snuck into your kitchen and ate all your ice cream without <laughs> telling you? That one time? I don't think it's only happened once. Let's just be, let's just be was, perfectly honest. This, this was, was eating your emotions. Is very sad? I, we were on the Austin Metro Rail. She saw me. She turned away. Didn't make eye contact the rest of the trip. <laughs> right before her stop, she turned around. She slipped an avocado into my hand, and she walked out the door. Oh. And I never saw her again. But that's like $3 worth of, <laughs> worth of produce. <laughs> I'm not saying I didn't eat the avocado. It was delicious. Okay. I mean, okay. yeah, I like it. Tasty. I feel like this is the missing lyric to that Berlin song, the Metro. <laughs> I, I, you know, the soldier handed me an avocado before he turned and looked away. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so uh, given that we're talking about ladies of hell today, I wanted to ask y'all who your pa- favorite lady demons are in pop culture i almost talked about her earlier but i think i i think i might have edited myself out of it i really like has been hotel that cartoon series i think it's adorable and perky and charlie magne is really fun she's the princess of hell daughter of lilith and lucifer she's this incurable optimist and i have a fan theory that she might be the messiah Ooh, wow because as the daughter of Lilith and Lucifer, she was born without original sin. <gasps> what? Oh. Well, because wow. original sin was carried through Adam and Eve. This is a, a like Jesus. Oh. So yeah. she's she's bypassed. She took the 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 loop around exactly. the, original has, sin. Has been hotel world. It's really raunchy, fun, hell based humor. Uh, it's it's pretty adorable, and I like that series a lot. A little less raunchy. I'm, I think I mentioned this like six months ago. The Library of the Unwritten. It's a trilogy of books based on Hell's Library. The main character, one of the main characters is Claire. She's a sort of semi-immortal human in charge of this unwritten library wing of Hell. So she definitely qualifies as Infernal Lady. There's also a really charming muse named Brevity. And... <laughs> A couple she other doesn't fun. Talk much. Yeah, no. Well, she talks. She talks quite a bit, actually. A couple oh, of the characters. Ironic. Another hero named Hero. Mm-hmm. Like H I R O or Hero Hero. Uh, this one's just Hero Hero. Okay. It's a fun series. It kind of edges into paranormal romance, but there isn't really a romance. Uh, but the main character is that kind of very competent, very dry female lead that, that you. Um, sometimes getting these titles it's good i enjoyed it and i recently found out there were two more books in the series which i'm looking forward to reading those oh i think i stole that book from you and i read it because you were telling me about it and you were like hey jamin there's this book with this hot red-headed librarian and that's the book and i'm like what does jamin like red-headed librarians who are hot i mean this just ticks every box so i read it and we got to the point where she's browbeating the novel who tried to escape and I think this is where you and I separate as having. She was yeah. a very. She's a very dry character. It confuses me. It was fun, I admit. I just it confused me. Okay, I'll buy which that. Which doesn't take much. I'll buy that. 
Uh, so Vu- Vi- Vic- Vi- Vi- Vuka. Victoria Uka. Uh, yes, Victoria, you've summoned me. Vic- Victoria Uka. Uh, <laughs> who, who are your picks here? My all-time favorite pop culture lady demon is Anya from Buffy. Yes, she is delightfully evil at times and has a good mm-hmm. singing voice. Yes, she does, especially when she sings about bunnies. Yes. Mm-hmm. But also, bunnies. I mean, bunnies. bunnies. It comes back to bunnies. bunnies. It Eggs? must be bunnies. Eggs? <laughs> but she's also like, I like how literal and blunt she is. I, I just seriously enjoy that. And she's a vengeance demon or originally was a vengeance demon that came to Sunnydale and was um, overthrown or, or cast like she was undemonized by an alternative reality version of Giles hmm. and was stuck being a teenager on earth and that sounds like the, hell yeah <laughs> part of the buffy gang and and you know spoiler alert she 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 turns out to be somewhat heroic so she's hmm. pretty awesome mm-hmm. can i tell you a secret sure i was in china when buffy aired i've never seen it then okay this is this is if you're gonna make me read a bunch of books then you have <laughs> oh, to watch no! you have to not only watch Buffy but you also no. have to watch Angel and you have to watch them in the correct order and pairing. I think asking someone to watch Angel is a big ask. Oh, but Angel, I think it's the Better Call Saul of vampire TV <laughs> because it's it adds to the narrative just like you got Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul, like adds this whole other layer. Angel does exactly the same thing. It deepens deepens several characters, goes in some wacky directions. I love it. It's got a karaoke demon. And num- okay. number number two, number two. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, number two. Yes. So I've gotten kind of obsessed with the Billie Eilish song "All Good Girls Go to Hell," and I think I have an alternate reading of it. Like it's all about the emotional labor of being a lady demon. Because or an angel, angel slash demon, because like you're kind of trapped in this role of like having to like serve, like either both save or torment mankind. And it's like mankind of sucks. Like, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. just this is exhausting, guys, that I have to do this. Like you can make your own fucking birthday calendar. I don't have to do that for you. So, yeah. So she's she's now my my other favorite female demon who. It was May, kind of a only good video. One. Yeah. Mm, it's a great I, I video. I can see that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry I, I cuss, but, you know, I'm Vuka. That was the, a very the, volatile situation that just happened. <laughs> Vuka can't be contained. You don't know what she's going to do. So I guess we should talk about lady, like the real lady demons. Enough of these fake lady demons. On to right. the good stuff. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about a much older fiction. <laughs> so I started researching this topic on Wikipedia, as you always do, but also mm-hmm. in Michelle Belanger's excellent Dictionary of Demons. And that dictionary has like 1,500 demons, of which 20 of them maybe are are unambiguously mostly identifying as, as women. Very Not a lot of parody there. There's a lot of demons that can be women, a lot of snakes with women's heads, hmm. but there's about 300 entries that were female, but most of them were Lilith. See, this is just like American corporations. 
most of them are Lilith? <laughs> yes, most of them are Lilith. So I was I was doing good, and then I hit the glass Lilith, and I just knew my <laughs> career had plateaued. So this, <sighs> this started out being quite hard for me, because I was going through like standard demonologies, and they were not availing. The Goesha of Dr. Rudd gave me Gemyem, who I think is quite charming, and that's all. I like her. She rides a camel. She's very pretty. I think she might be an aspect of Hecate, because she, mm, ah. uh, she inspires treasure seeking and can be called upon for gifts of prophecy. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the female ish demons that are summoned by demonologists are mostly there to help them get the ladies. Mm -hmm. So the medieval equivalent of a big tape, I guess. What? Gem Yem <laughs> <laughs> is kind of interesting because she will help win the affection of ladies of all ages. That's kind of different. Right. Click. Add to favorites. <laughs> but kind of like kind of like every demon in the in the Goesha, the, the big seventy-two to sixty-four that were summoned by Solomon and are the frontliners in most grimoires, there's just not a lot of there there. You know, it's a list of what she can do for you as a demonologist, and then what angel opposes her and what time she shows up. Eleven o'clock. Hmm. Um, so not a lot there. But she does look very nice on her camel. Hmm. I feel like this gets back to discussing like lady demons and the the labor <laughs> that they perform because it's yeah. all about like what is your role like you know who do you, you know who do you, who are you fighting against what time like what time do you expect to be here in the morning um <laughs> you know punch punch the clock lady demon and you know just don't don't talk back and and that's kind of this very utilitarian approach to demonology that you I think typifies the grimoire tradition rolling back to what, like 1500 BC or so. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's, it's less exciting than a Pokedex. If you don't know what a Pokedex is, that's, that's kind of what the Goetia brought me. Yeah. I don't, mm -hmm. What's a that's, Pokedex? I don't know. <laughs> the kids have one. Oh, Poke, like Pokemon. Yeah. It's oh. the, Okay. I thought it was like some kind of, you know, like apocrypha tract that I had not <laughs> read yet. And I was thinking like, well, I could do that and maybe like it, it it is. It's a it's a Rolodex of Pokemans that you give your friend and you're like, read this. It changed my life. <laughs> well, and I think that that's that's like the the demon rosters are like that. They're like maniacal lists for the sake of maniacal lists in, in many ways. <laughs> There's not a lot of personality there. You know, I mean, they do mention Bale and things like that, but it's outside of like a couple of brand names. There's nothing. There's again, there's no there there, which is kind of sad. It's just how do demons work for you as this ritualist? And I mean, that rolls back to Solomon who used them to build his temple. Yep. Yep. Allegedly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But I feel like in the in the Testament of Solomon, there's there's more personality to the lady demons. And there's quite a few of them. Really? Yeah. Yeah. This honestly comes as a shock to me. I know. I know. I started looking into it because you had mentioned you mentioned the Pleiades and you had mentioned Clotold. Cl Clothod, maybe. Clothod who's known as Battle. And so I did a little bit more digging and the Testament of Solomon is incredibly fascinating. 
I'm going to skip all of the like business about it's writing because I don't think that's particularly important here, well, especially like because I, pardon me? With the provenance of it, who wrote it? Yeah, because I feel like okay. if we want to, I feel like we should probably do a whole episode or like it's going to come up again. But what I do want to mention is that it starts like all good stories start with a vampire attack. Yes. Just like Buffy. Oh. Just like Buffy. So, but again, the only important part of this Vampire attack is yes, that the vampire attack. The vampire attack. See, see, yeah. I remember now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like one of Solomon's construction people was being plagued by vampires. Yep, and that yep. really messes with morale. It really does. And so <laughs> Solomon had to go and beg for help, and he got a ring from the archangel Michael. That in this ring would vanquish demons. Okay. Okay. So. Solomon then started summoning demons and he started assigning them tasks and building his temple. So he's exploiting demon labor with this ring, which takes on a whole new significance when you're talking to lady demons. Cause I don't know, there's like, to me, I instantly went to like a marriage plot kind of situation, but I'm reading a whole lot into it. <laughs> Cause this is like, you know, this is, I think roughly like a hundred, a hundred common era that we're talking or 200 um, common era that I think we're talking like 500 BCE or so, maybe more than that. It goes way back. Well, this it was is the written. This is the first temple. Oh, the, the Testament was written later. The Testament was written like 200 years after oh, okay. Jesus was born. So ergo part of the controversy of like, what the hell is this thing? So it's not canonical. Okay. We're in folk story territory here. Yes, but it's, how it's wicked. It not, interesting. How could it not be canonical? It's, it's, Named the, the Testament of Solomon, which sounds mm-hmm. official, and it's got vampires. Yeah. Like, why is this not canon? Well, it's just like yeah, Christians and Jews don't think that vampires somehow fit into the whole, like, holy book thing. Right. 67 is a much better number. <laughs> to go back, with this wedding, what did you say? Wedding proposal, wedding plot, wedding... Marriage plot. Marriage mm-hmm. plot. So mm-hmm. you're saying, we've got Solomon saying... You know, hello there, I love you. How does the song go? Won't you tell me your name? Yeah, Which hello, he does. I love you, won't you tell me your name? He does and then that. He grabs her hand, he looks her in the eye, and he says, with this ring, I thee command you to build my temple. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's essentially it. Oh, classic bait and switch, Solomon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. So, like, specifically, like, there are several, uh, several demons that are just kind of lady demons that are sort of free-floating through the narrative, but the group that I really wanted to focus on tonight is the Pleiades or the Seven Sisters. So I kind of like, I couldn't help it, but uh, read this as if it were like one of those Bravo specials with Andy Cohen, where he's got the, like the real housewives on it. So it's the real house demons of Solomon's temple. So allow me to set the scene. Put the lemons in the white wine. Put the lemons in the white wine, put on some extra mascara and get ready. So again, you know, he's calling the demons up onto the stage. They all show up all bound together, woven together because they always, they are the seven sisters. They appear in a constellation and, you know, you got to hold for the woos and the applause as these seven sisters are brought on stage and they all kind of tumble onto the couch in a stack And so (laughs) Solomon begins his interrogation. First, 
he asks the first one, hello, I love you. Won't you tell me your name? And she says, I am deception. I deceive and weave snares here and there. I wet and excite heresies. But I have an angel who frustrates me, Lamechalal. He's the only angel who can tame deception and it pisses her off. I find Lamechalal really frustrating too. He just never stays in the morning. It's awful. It's true. Like he's just like, oh, I gotta, you know, I gotta go like vanquish deception and whatever. So yeah. like I want to clarify for deception at the very beginning, that's wet with a H, a capital H, correct? Yes, it's wet. Mm, wet. Uh-huh. That's important. Yes. <laughs> Again, we're eight-year-old boys. <laughs> the second one calls her angel enemy or frenemy, Barkalal, a suck-up and a fake because, and I could be wrong about this, I think he's also called Barakiel. And he represents God's sweet blessing showering down on people. Ugh. Gross. Ben Barkiel, he's the angel of lightning. Well, no. See, he's often, this guy's often confused with that dude. And so I oh. think there is kind of like like a twinsy thing where like, you know, she started dating one, the other one showed up and she got confused. Well, if, he's, if he's Ben, he's the son of. You have Barkiel and Ben Barkiel, right? Because oh. Ben's the patronymic. But there's no, it's not Ben, it's Bart. It's, oh, I, no I got it. I, I miss... Oh. Ancestored. <laughs> who hasn't done that before a Zoom meeting? Oh, geez. So who is this this particular pleiad? Should we should we do number two again? <laughs> <laughs> Let me try to say this again. Uh, so Solomon turns to the second pleiad on the couch, Strife, and she calls her strife. Yes, Strife. And That's interesting. Why is that interesting? finish this paragraph because I'm going to derail it. Okay. Okay. Hold tight. So she calls her frenemy Barkiacol a suck up and a fake because, and I could be wrong about this. I think he's also called Barakiel and he represents God's sweet blessings showering down on people. Ugh. Gross. Disgusting. Yeah, that's pretty gross. So what were you going to say, Jacob? Well, I'm looking at these pleiads and mm-hmm. we've got deception and strife and they're bad people and sources of, of um, unrest. I think that's the rule we're dealing with here. But there's a there's another character in the Greek mythology, uh, Eris Discordia, the mm-hmm. goddess the goddess of strife, and her children are things like war and unrest and and such. They're very similar characters, and I think that there's this kind of this subliminal tie of like this social chaos and female goddesses, mm-hmm. which I, might be significant. I think it's all related. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is the moment that is shows the most Greek influence in this text. So I think this is like an amalgam of different cultures and stories. And I also just want to point out to listeners that there are two ways to pronounce the word that we're saying. You can either say, Pleiades, or you can say Pleiades. So we're both right. Just wanted to clarify that. <laughs> I think you misunderstand the nature of rightness. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do a lot. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I'm going to go to the third one, but it's Clothod. How did you say that? I, I thought Clothod, but I don't know. Clothod? Okay. I know. So Solomon turns to the third and she says, I'm called Clothod. I am also battle, and I cause the well-behaved to scatter and fall, fouled to each other. 
And why do I say so much? Because I want to tell the truth about that coward angel Marmarath. He's just a conflict-averse people pleaser. <laughs> this is like weird anti-therapy going on here. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's what the whole point of these Bravo specials is. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the fourth, Jealousy is really drunk and about to have a wardrobe malfunction. And she says, Woo! I cause men to forget sobriety and moderation. I part them and split them. And strife follows me around hand in hand. I rend the husband from the share of his bed and children from parents and brothers from sisters. And you know who I don't like? Shh. And then she passes out. I wish you were exaggerating, but you're only exaggerating a very little bit. <laughs> no, this is, I, this is all true. This is, this is reality-based apocryphal text right here. So, mm-hmm. So the fifth... She pulls Jealousy's top back up and says, I am power. By power, I raise up tyrants and tear down kings. To all rebels, I furnish power. I have an angel that frustrates me, Astaroth. But it's clear that she's actually really hot for him because he's a fallen angel and the Grand Duke of Hell. I mean, come on. Right? Right? Hmm. Hmm. You're hemming a lot. Hmm. Astaroth is a very confusing figure. He's totally confused. And that's why she's so hot for him. Because, like, she has this whole, like, power suit, like you know, big shoulder thing, but you know, she just wants her to do Capel. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So the six says, I'm error and I'll make the air as I've before made thee to error. Like <laughs> when I caused thee to slay your own brother and I'm going to make you like Rob Oops. Graves. Oops. Also, you know who sucks? Uriel. Like he's always apologizing. And it's so weird. What a mistake. <laughs> I was, I was going to say, she sounds like the cutest of the bunch. And then we started like killing our own brothers. And I'm like, oh, hmm. hmm. We see the, 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 the cute ones are always like asking yeah. you to kill your brother. So, you know, what are you going to do? So finally, the seventh one looks up from sending passive aggressive texts from Power's phone and says, I'm the worst. And I'm going to ruin your life by telling you about a really stupid thing you're going to do. You're going to go sacrifice five locusts to Moloch. It doesn't make sense now, but it's going to be dumb. By the way, she may also be Hecate. How do you say it? Hecate? Hecate. Hecate. Just like your earlier lady. So that huh. is a, huh. that's a possible connection. What's her name? Number seven? Number seven is the worst. She's that's, the worst. That's literally her name is the worst? Certainly her name is literally the worst. Uh, ding, is- ding, ding, ding. In this dating show, we have a match. <laughs> <laughs> so I think she would enjoy your mixtape. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is probably a euphemism sort of situation because there's some characters like Persephone that you do not name because naming them draws their attention. And so oh. probably calling them, calling her the worst is eliding her name so that you don't draw her ire. I mean, she's kind of like a Voldemort, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She could be a tasty German sausage. Yeah. She's the worst. She's kind of zoftig. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so- it's been... The first. So the first, like again, we're like I'm. I'm feeling some vibes here. More than more vibes than error. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What again am I sacrificing to Moloch? Five locusts. Is that it? That's it. Yeah, I feel like I'm down. This you is cut a story. Off easy. Yeah, I I think it has something to do with him skimping on the sacrifice. I think that's the gist of that. Like, dude. You've got all this stuff and you get five locusts. But I could be wrong because I haven't really interrogated the whole five locust thing. But it's a thing, I tell you what. Like, this, it's totally a thing. For those of you that don't remember, 
Moloch is the guy we sacrifice our babies to. Yes. And nobody likes that. No. Well, I mean, Moloch does. <laughs> I had a weird linguistic moment yesterday, which I'm going to make as a pointless aside here. Mm-hmm. Uh, a friend of mine handed me his Hindi English dictionary, and I was just flipping through it and stopped because on page 257, it says something along the lines of Mlechem, which meant to be barbarous. And I really wonder if that MLK was, again, that tie, tie into the, the Moloch story. Oh, that makes sense. Yes. Well, to finish, so Solomon immediately goes to a commercial break. When we come back, he's got all of the sisters in little, uh, little work jumpers. And he says, I bade them to be industrious. And with one murmur of joint protest, they begin to perform the task enjoined. So the audience, finally, they're put in their place with the, with the ring. Slow Solomon clap. Mm-hmm, slow Solomon clap. Are these, are these like Carhartt onesies? No, they're like not even that good. Orange is the new black sort of thing? Yeah. What, like the, the, the one piece that like mechanics wear, the blue overalls? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they're yeah. not flattering. They're not flattering at all. I'd beg to differ. That sounds hot. <laughs> <laughs> like grease stain on your cheek meow mm-hmm. yeah i guess i guess there's a i guess it might be somebody's thing i suppose but so yeah that's the real housewives of solomon's temple there's some other there's some other lady demons in there but we could actually come back to them another time if we want that that story was absolutely perfect because i've just finished my drink and there's nothing left at the bottom but raspberries and mm. now i have something to chew on like this is the perfect timing so well done well done my mascara is hardly running. Thank yeah. you. I, yeah. I, I timed it. Mm-hmm. I timed it. Well, I could skip ahead to the Middle Ages then if that works for people. Sure. Yeah, I could save these other demons. For What's the time, time travel between friends? Mm-hmm. TARDIS noises. I think I got two stories completely confused in my head. The one is the farmer's cursed wife, which is, you know, child ballad number something, something, something. The other is the idea of the alewife as a an infernal figure. Very different stories. Got them kind of tangled up in my head. They're still not entirely separated. But I'm going to go with the easy one first, which is the farmer's cursed wife. The story, uh, and there's a bunch of different versions of it, it goes down the general lines of there's an old Sussex farmer. He's uh, taking his time off one day. The devil approaches him and says, I'm going to take a member of your family away. Uh, this actually rhymes. Oh, you like Robert Burns, don't you? No. You don't like Robert Burns? Oh, what? Robert Burns. I thought you said Crawford Burns. I was like, who's Crawford Burns? No, I do like Robert Burns. I like, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'll use the Robert Burns version. Cut, cutting out the hey, hey lolly lollies and humdiddly lums and rumbleos and such. Thank God. Uh, yeah. <laughs> there lived a Carl in Carleburn Brass, and he had a wife that was plague of his days. One day, as the Carl went to the Long Glen, he met with the devil who said, how do you fin? I've got a bad wife, sir. That's a my complaint. That was kind of Italian. For saving, your, <laughs> for saving, for saving your presence to her, you're a saint. It's not your cattle or deer that I crave, but I've come to. But give me your wife, for it's her I must have. So the devil has it in his head to take away a member of the farmer's family. He takes his wife, and it takes years to get down to hell because of the extreme distances involved. Nine years, but after that, like in a week, he runs back because she's been that bad. Um, oh my god. The little imps are saying, take her away before she ruins us all. 
She beats up dozens of devils. She spied 13 imps all dancing in chains. She upped with her patents and beaten their brains. And patents are shoes. She really literally raises hell. But R-A-Z-E-S, so it's funnier. <laughs> yeah. There was harrowing. And in various, various forms of the punchline, the devil comes back and says that he's been a devil his entire life, but this is the first time he's really been in hell. So is she really bad or is she just like not putting up with stuff? I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't think she's, I don't think she's bad. And there's sometimes there's a refrain that says something like, and that's why women are better than men because they go back to hell and they come back again. Yes. Yes. I would agree with that. Again, like the Billie Eilish song. Like, yeah, she's, she's definitely very tropey. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's, is she's, she a tropey wife? She's a, oh, oh, <laughs> Points to VUCA. Points, points, points. Man. VUCA, VUCA is, I, yes. Play VUCA of is game. good at puns. Mm-hmm. I think the depiction is not flattering. I mean, it's called, another version is The Cursed Wife. But I don't think it's unloving either because, for one thing, she's a strong enough character to, to harrow hell. She stomps mm-hmm. the devil flat and comes back. Not everybody can do that. But I think she's saying, I think the part of the story is like, well, this is our local woman and she's so horrible she's awesome like i think it's a loving negative depiction in that regard and also it stands a major stereotype on its head and that's kind of the the eve stereotype that women are easily duped by evil and have to be protected from evil no. it's no well i yeah i'd be inclined <laughs> to disagree because the story is really kind of the opposite of that the husband makes a deal with the devil and the wife is much stronger than that so no she doesn't need to be protected at all she's the strong one she's the one that fights against Satan in this story. And she kind of redeems her husband because she forces the devil to renege on a contract. She's kind of a scourge in this story, but there's a lot of good there too. She's a powerful character in a sort of flipped negative way. I think there's positive in the depiction buried in the weeds. So, you know, who else fits that description of like going down to hell and kicking Satan's butt and then, you know, ruling forever. Mass X. Yes. 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 Little little ass. Yeah. Very, so he's very... like a he's he's a devil wife. Okay, I can see that. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of the one story, and there's a lot of different versions of it. Um, the other one, which is the one I kind of mucked up with, was the ale wife, mm-hmm. and we kind of started with this back in the Mesopotamia story when we were talking about Nikasi, Ninkasi, Ninsasi. Sidori, different yes. name, same person. Well, no, there, were, there are a few different names for her. But yeah, Sidori, and also Ninkasi, uh, who's the brewer goddess, or the personification of brew and, and ale and things like that. She's the yeast of your troubles. <laughs> well, she's, a, she's a very maternal figure. And that was, what, like 3000 BC or so. And for 4000 plus years, women were the brewers. When you did like a survey of the brewing industry in the 1300s, you could not represent women any more fully. That they dominated that industry, and it was it was good because it didn't require a lot of land. Uh, you just needed a kettle and some grain, and you could do it. Didn't need a man involved. It was like a great side hustle. I think that and medicine were like two of the traditional businesses that women could be involved in in ways to kind of maintain themselves. Why do you think that is? Why do you? Uh... Why those two? I don't know. Before we talk about the bad alewife, the evil alewife, I really like the good alewife. So 
to answer your question, with zero expertise in the subject, therefore well qualified to give my opinion, you've got a mother figure, you've got a caregiver, a nurturer, a protector, a home help a homemaker homemaker hearth yeah okay so we've got this concept of (laughs) you got guys guys are dumb but one of their attributes is strength so you send them out you do strong stuff go cut down the woods go tame the oxen go pick up the rocks right we don't send this you've got you know we've got a, a shared responsibility we can cut most of that out but the caregiver the life giver right if your job is, and, and let's explain, ale in between 3000 BC and 1000 CE is your main caloric intake. Water is gross. Water is nasty. Water has bugs living in it. Alcohol has tons of nutrients and carbohydrates, which you need. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, and alcohol, alcohol is not really the active ingredient in Mesopotamian ale. Well, that's or- fair, ale. Early middle ale. It's this is this is slightly boozy water, but it's boozy boozy enough to be just boozy enough to kill the bugs and to add a sort of warmth to things. It's got electrolytes. Yeah, electrolytes. <laughs> it's what plants crave. <laughs> well, how how these two things became like such firmly female domains, I do not know. Regardless, th- they, these were these were very female spaces uh, up until the 1300s. And here's where the story starts going downhill. During the 1300s, this thing happened called the Black Death. and Never heard it, of it. Yeah, I mean, you, you had to be there. <laughs> um, and after this, and in part because of this, uh, ale became big business. People were drinking ale a lot because it was safer than water. There was a much higher demand for it, uh, particularly in urban spaces. And so in these urban spaces... Ale became more about getting drunk. It became a thing that kept people away from the home. So it starts to be kind of this somewhat opposed to hearth and home idea. Hmm. It also got stronger when, Hmm. you know, we, we expand out and we find out in the northern countries, they do things like they add hops to their ale and make it stronger and make it last longer right yeah, so instead we're of finding beer we're refining beer technology yes so also in the 1300s uh saint francis of assisi was 1280 or so the idea of the family becomes very important uh, particularly to the church saint francis introduces the manger scene he makes joseph a powerful figure in the holy family there was no joseph before there was just mary i mean joseph was there but he was a bit character but after that there becomes this image of patient Mary, supportive and faithful Joseph, and the baby. So the family unit becomes modeled in the Bible and the the nativity story. The family unit is also the basis of feudal society. It becomes the way that inheritance is passed down. Really important in feudalism Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of organizing land and such. The church is very interested in this. The church also subtly promotes romantic love which is a way of undermining the aristocracy. It's also invested in the feudal system, but as a way to remove power from them uh, by making these arranged marriages a little less stable. So the family becomes terribly important to the church. It becomes somewhat politicized over the course of the 1300s. I think in many ways it becomes kind of the, the way the United States has defined marriage is kind of based on this. Marriage is um, like the only... No, 
not to a love. Well, yes, to a love, a love-based marriage, but that is the only appropriate place for sexuality. Mm-hmm. And also this kind of subtext that sex is only about procreation, not about enjoyment. These things are all kind of start expanding in the Middle Ages. Mary becomes this pale, faithful, and very kind of reticent and quiet figure. She's not a sexual figure at all. She's the mother, but that was back in the day. And now she's just kind of this serene thing. Anyway, in the process of politicizing marriage, the church and its allies, who is everyone, demonizes a lot of things that are kind of opposed to marriage, and that starts to include the alewife and alcohol and taverns all kind of at the same time. And simultaneously, as brewing becomes a source of real money and not just like a side hustle, uh, it starts to become more and more a man's world. And like in the 1600s, the Guild of Brewers in London say that women are not fit to make or sell ale, despite the fact they've been doing it for thousands of years. Mm. And the alewife, who was previously, you know, just a woman, a small business owner, becomes someone who's demonized because a small business owner that's independent of men and doesn't need that in their life. That's a problem character and ale and alcohol draw people away from the family. And that's a problem too. So over like the 1400s, I believe the alewife stops being kind of a neutral character and starts being another form of witch and a really over the top form of witch too. In medieval art, she's shown as being naked her hair is done up in this complicated kind of horn-like headdress called the devil's snare because this focus on the hair is baseness and unhealthy interest in vanity at the expense of the soul. And there's images of like these hellscapes where she is the only happy human there because she's gleeful, dancing around, hugging demons, riding on devils, leading men to their destruction and their souls to damnation. But she's happy. (laughs) It's job Which security. Actually, well, very much so. She, I mean, she's gleeful and sexual and naked. And also, on the other hand, she's kind of ugly and twisted, too. She starts to become like a witch character, but a little more naked and a little more happy. There's a pretty famous poem about an alewife, uh, The Tunning of Eleanor Rumming. Her lowly lair is nothing clear but ugly of cheer, droopy and drowsy, scurvy and lousy, her face all bowsy, comely, crinkled, wondrously wrinkled, like a roast pig's ear bristled with hair. (laughs) Uh, It goes on and on and on. Um, Her nose somewhat hooked and canisly crooked, never stopping but ever drooping. Her skin loose and slack, grained like a sack with a crooked back. So again, there's all these, so many things kind of converge on like the evil witch image that a lot of people were saying that maybe she was the, the alewife was the source of this. They kind of developed at the same time in relation to each other. And during the same period as the witch hunt, the alewife became demonized and was very soon driven entirely out of what was before a very good little niche industry for her. So it's really a sad story because she was like within about a hundred years, she went from being, you know, a member of the community that you go and get your beer from in the street to, a foul symbol of dirt and lust and corruption. Like in the Canterbury tales, you've got the Miller mm-hmm. and he's just a cheat, but the alewife is a cheat who shortchanges you on your booze and poisons your booze and also dra- drags you to hell in one of these kind of doom pictures. She's like an anti Mary uh, because you actually see Mary on one side and her on and the alewife on the other. And Mary's kind of serene. And this woman is like 
the alewife is like hugging a demon and laughing maniacally and her <laughs> you know the mother figure has milk that she nourishes her infants with but the alewife poisons people with her beverage mm. but i also kind of look at her and i remember like nanny og from the terry pratchett novels the discworld novels this big rotund very joyfully happy and sleazy woman always holding a stein of beer it's kind of what she looks like in my head and I, I do wonder if that idea was kind of taken from the 16th century medieval alewife tradition or not. She's kind of like a female Falstaff. Yeah, 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 but a lot more willfully so. Like, this woman is allied with the devil in no uncertain terms. And Falstaff's kind of a coward. Yeah, no, this is, yes, yeah, definitely not in her case. So she's a kind of a powerful figure, but a, a horrible temptress as well. So she, I don't know, when you, when you were describing her, she she sounds to me like kind of like the um, the witch in the old Warner Brothers cartoons that would kind of like, with the crazy hair, and she's kind yeah. of like squat and, and, and happy laughing, and then yeah, she'll run out of yeah, room and yeah. all the hairpins are flying. Totally, but she needs mm-hmm. to lose the robe. <laughs> 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 Which is a delightful image there, I'm sure. So the devil snare hair, is that like the Maleficent? Kind of like yeah oh yeah, yeah. Okay. double 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 twisted horns okay sort of thing mm-hmm. yeah. that's exactly what I was envisioning now again just because like I I am ambiguously unambiguous is this a mm-hmm. snare for the devil or by the devil like is there an apostrophe in this yeah it's a possess- it is the snare of the devil the devil this is, co- this the is- devil apostrophic snare yes okay see yes. we're clear now it's the devil's hairstyle. Right, because it, it it's emblematic of well, it, I guess it's both because it's, it's it's any sort of luxurious thing like makeup or whatever is a source of temptation and falling in men, but also it's a sign of this person's fallen state too. Mm. Right, quaffery for the devil. Yeah, but I am again. I'm really taken by how giddily happy she is. I mean, she's cavorting. There are sinners burning like 20 feet away from her, and she probably led to their downfall in some way. But there's so few happy humans in hell. Yeah. Well, she's it's living like, deliciously. She was, yeah, exactly. And she's she's okay with that. Like, she's not image conscious. She's naked no. and ugly, dancing around, mm-hmm. letting it all hang out, doesn't mm-hmm. care, having a great time. Yeah. Role there's model. a lot of body positivity in yeah, hell, clearly. Definitely a role mm-hmm. model. And the subtext is she's going to get hers eventually. I mean, that's always there. Uh, it's it's kind of interesting that the images of the corrupt alewife character are strongest in urban areas where the Brewers Guild is strongest. Mm, <laughs> go figure. Mm. Definitely go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Profit. But she she was a pretty major image in like medieval religious art for a while, kind of up there in the top ten. So. I feel like the uh, little carvings under the choir seats. Yeah. A lot of those probably, like, they always have, like, the Sheila and gigs and, you know, lots of kind of raunchy things. But I think there's a lot of alewives in, in, under those seats, too. Absolutely. Yeah. She's mm-hmm. definitely an underseat carving subject du jour. <laughs> <laughs> you know, now in the craft brewing world, female or women-owned breweries are, like, a big deal. Like, hey, the ladies are getting in on it when... Actually, they're just reclaiming their time, right? Yeah, that that feels right. Now, one of the main sources I used for my last like thirty minute ramble was a really cool website called Brachiatrix dot com, like Brassia to brew and Etrix 
like dominatrix or something. So <laughs> like Trisha. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> the name Trisha. That's the root. Oh, Lady Trisha. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. But B-R-A-C-I-A-T-R-I-X dot com, a website devoted to brewing and alewives as a concept. Really mm. neat resource. Also, uh, Allison Murray's Alewives, Brewing Ale, Brewing Controversy, and Teresa Vaughn's The Alewife, Changing Images and Bad Brews. Great reads. Hmm. 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 Awesome. Okay, Jamin. What about your Lady of Hell? Hmm. Oh, yeah, we never talked about that. So, Jamin, tell us about your underworld lady. Well, I want to switch continents real quick and spend just a few brief seconds telling you about Mictikasi Waddle. She is the queen of the underworld of Mictlan. Mm -hmm. Mictlan is the underworld of the Aztecs in the New World. Mm -hmm. Part of her myth is she was sacrificed as an infant probably alive, and as the underworld goddess of hell, she is portrayed as having flayed flesh, a big giant skull, and a gaping mouth full of teeth, so that all the stars fall into her mouth, and the sun then rises. We get this flayed, undead-ish, kind of terrifying goddess of hell, and that's Mictikasi Waddle. That's neat. So she, she grew up in hell? No, she grew up in the underworld. She made it hell. Oh, uh-huh. nice. Oh, see, there's your tagline of the movie we're going to make in our little <laughs> anime studio. She grew up in the underworld, but she made it hell. There's also a fun story we'll talk about in the future where Quetzalcoatl goes to hell, blows some bees, breaks some bones, and escapes. It's Ooh. all good, man. All good. <laughs> I feel like they, that would make an amazing Halloween costume. Or terrifying. Very pretty cool. Yeah, they use a lot of crepe paper. Mm. Well, I'm excited. I'm excited about a potential future Mictlan episode because I'm a huge fan of Sholu and Squeetly, and they figure prominently into this as well. Who's that? The Mexican hairless dog. Oh, oh, that's what they're called? Yeah. Oh. I had to learn to pronounce that. It's true. I think he owned a Sholu <laughs> for like a year before he learned to say Sholu and Squeetly. I, I was just going to say, I've met that dog. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he he sneezed on things. Oh, sneezy pants. Was he one of the seven deadly dogs? Like the no. seven deadly dwarves, sneezy? No, he was he was very um, twitchy, possibly, the eighth one, yeah. That sounds like a lot of fun, and I'm really excited that eventually we're going to get to a more multicultural approach to hell. I feel like um, there's a lot of... UT Press can really help us out here because uh, they published a lot of codices of uh, Maya and Aztec codices that depict yes. a lot of these figures. UT so. is a very, like, is a leading player in the first people language and culture preservation. Like, they do amazing research. Well, that's been another eternity talking about our favorite place, Hal. Thank you for joining us and if you like what you hear, please leave us a comment or some feedback on our website, dispatch.ist, on our Facebook page, or on our Twitter. And 
if you have some ideas for uh, resources for us or topics we should cover, you should do like uh, the listener uh, did with Jamin and send us those again through Facebook, Twitter, or our website. We are almost certainly going to come back to the Women of Hell several times over because this was a lot of fun. It was a it was a super amount of fun, and there's there's a lot of ladies left to discuss. So on that note, say the word. I am the worst. Call me. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in hell. This podcast is copyright 2021 by The Dispatchist and its Creative Commons. You're welcome to reuse with attribution. Look for us on your favorite podcast app. Say hi to us on Twitter or Gmail at The Dispatchist, no spaces. Check out our website, dispatch.ist, for more episodes, show notes, and a variety of hellish resources. Hey, this is Jacob, Studios of the Vainglorious. I need to place a coffee pot order. Five crates. Yeah. Decaf, coconut, lavender. Again. Just if there's anything else in stock, let me know.